it all felt quite a bit like mid 2000s Mm. attempted nostalgia but as someone who went through that era as a young person i didn't feel much nostalgia for it at all to be honest so So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. It's in the books, Kansas City win it again, the start of a dynasty, question mark. So hey, we've got they Connor here, <laughs> we've got Sean, hello. and we got Ronan. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's all down in Cork, Ronan? Uh, not too bad, managed to uh, survive uh, Dublin. Uh, you know, it was a great Super Bowl, obviously great to see all you guys, uh, my brain didn't think so. I had like a pounding headache by the end. I mean, I don't know if that's lack of sleep or, you know, that tequila shot you got into me early. I don't think that was a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, it was it was great to be down to watch the Super Bowl with you guys, and uh, yeah, just a long off season waiting now. Uh, should be should be long enough nine months to recover from the Super Bowl. Anyway. Yeah, true, true. How about yourself, Sean? How's all in Waterford? Yeah, grand. I uh, I also enjoyed Dublin, uh, and then I had to get the. 20 past 7 train back to Waterford so uh, got back walked the dog and then kind of just didn't do anything yesterday still a bit I think it's going to take me a little while to recover given I missed a night's sleep yeah um, that 7am train thing is just uh, it's a bit rough it wasn't it, 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 it was harder than last year for sure but uh, it actually isn't too it just feels like a hangover to be honest yeah um, which and my, my wife Sarah she works uh 24-hour call shifts, and she says the exact same thing about her call shifts, is that it feels like the day after. You're not necessarily tired, but you it is it feels like a hangover in terms of its effects. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we bonded over that today. So, very uh, good, very good. And, and on the dynasty question, like the, the subheading of last year's Super Bowl review podcast was literally a dynasty rises, so I think we were already <laughs> on the train. I think just well, the train yeah. has left the back station to, now. Back-to-back is kind of the... The minimum requirements, I'd say, these days for at least one back-to-back. Yeah. Although, I mean, the the Pats, again, you get into this question of how long did the Pats dynasty actually exist for, given they only won one, had two of their titles back-to-back and the rest were spaced out over 20 mm-hmm. years, basically. Well, it was so. more that there was a big space and then a bunch of them kind of happened. Yeah, quite kind of a, it happened in bunches for them, so... Uh. One could argue there were sub-dynasties within the, the greater dynasty, <laughs> but uh, look, we'll, we'll, we can get into this uh, 10 years from now, like at the, at the current clip, I, I do think the Chiefs might have a better chance of uh, not having that gap that uh, Eli Manning created, but uh, there's probably an Eli Manning out there somewhere in the NFL, maybe it's CJ Stride, maybe it's Joe Burrow can stay healthy for a while, or maybe it's someone from the, the well, NFC. Surely ha- do it surely has then. to be someone from the NFC if it's to be our, uh, our well, Eli you know, Manning. They so. could do an AFC yeah. tournament, the t- tournament as well, you know. I, I, my money's at Baker Mayfield. He's going to be the guy mm. who finally <laughs> stops them. <laughs> Very good. Uh, we'll kick off with a few bits of news before we get into the game. Uh, so before there, we had the NFL honours. Uh, so we'll kind of go through these, see if we agree, disagree with them. So MVP was Baltimore quarterback Lamar Jackson. Um so, yeah, like he had a fairly good season, decent stats on it. It was very much overall kind of a down year um, for quarterbacks this year. So it wasn't like, it doesn't really stand up by comparison to a number of other years, but was probably the best quarterback out there. I, I still think like offensive player of the year went to Christian McCaffrey. I still reckon that 
you know, he probably was more valuable in the grand scheme of things and was a lot of that offense. But, you know, we, we know voting for MVP tends to go quarterback and Lamar probably was the most deserving quarterback out of the bunch that was there. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing, right, that this is MVP is a quarterback award. It's the reason they have Offensive Player of the Year is an entirely separate category because I think they recognize it always goes to quarterbacks. It's been a very long time since anyone who's a non-quarterback won it. Yeah, Lamar was, I mean... Certainly, around the time when you know the 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 later ha- the latter half of the season, the the later weeks, he definitely kicked up a gear, and there was definitely at times he was playing the best by some distance. Um, so probably does deserve it if it's only going to quarterbacks. But yeah, I think CMC was probably more consistent throughout the year as well. I would say he definitely was kind of producing things in the early season that maybe Lamar didn't quite kick into gear until a little bit later than that. So. My my vote would be for McCaffrey, obviously, because I I picked him and stuck with him, and I think he's the best. I, I think maybe San Francisco also the problem is they do have an awful lot of skill players, and maybe he doesn't stand out as much as he would if he was, say, the quarterback of a team where you're always going to be the standout player if you're if you if you're that good. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a screw job, uh, and conspiracy, etc. Against CMC, but uh, <laughs> probably Lamar is the best quarterback this year in terms of his performance. Yeah, I think we all deserve partial credit. Like we, uh, I think we all, I think me and you, Connor, picked Mahomes preseason, and in midseason we just stuck with it. And Sean picked CMC both mid preseason and midseason. Mm-hmm. So, offensive player of the year is basically MVP for non-quarterbacks, and Mahomes was Super Bowl MVP. So partial credit, I think, all around, to it, in my opinion. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Lamar, Lamar, look, look. He, towards the end of the season, he basically there was like almost a little like mini tournament between all the MVP candidates, and Lamar definitively won the end of the regular season. It's just obviously. It feels a little bit different, obviously, given the context of what actually happened in the playoffs. Yeah, of course. Um, and then, like we said, yeah, look, Christian McCaffrey, Offensive Player of the Year. That makes perfect sense to us. Defensive Player of the Year was Cleveland edge rusher Miles Garrett. He had a monster season as well. There was quite a bit of pushback online over this. Uh, a lot of people who like to track box scores uh, were complaining that uh, TJ Watt and Micah Parsons weren't getting this award. But uh, Micah Parsons himself came out and was like, people need to start watching tape instead of just looking at numbers because uh, the amount of double teams faced by Garrett and the amount of pressures he was getting off that like Parsons kind of kiss came out and said he was the better player and like basically all the outrage was completely fake are we happy with this I think Garrett had well, a very good season but yeah I think you're right that it was like a lot of fake but TJ Watt did make some comments that effectively he thought he should have got it so it was kind of TJ Watt's fault that that became in any way, yeah. a talking point. Uh, just suck it up, TJ. You have plenty of. You already have some of those. Your brother has plenty of those. Gives you know some room to Giles Garrett, who had a really great year as well. And as I said, yeah, if you look at the advanced analytics, you know TJ Watt gets a for an elite pass rusher a fairly large amount of one on ones. Although he does play as an OLB, so it's a slightly different position than mm-hmm. uh, Garrett as a four three end. Uh, but Garrett's a dominant player and deserves plenty of these awards. He, he's been great this year and for many years at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's always difficult to compare, especially defensive side, uh, in terms of stats because each position has so many different requirements of what you ask for them. Garrett is definitely the most explosive defensive player, and I think there might be a no no pun intended, but I think there might be a natural edge to edge players winning this because they're the guys Mm. who get to have the big sacks and the, the explosive plays very often. And unless you're a kind of a cornerback or safety who's been you know having a a interception heavy season, or Aaron Donald. Or Aaron Donald, and you're just so dominant that no one can deny it. Then uh, definitely feels like 
the, the explosive players are more likely to win that, and Guard certainly, he the eyeball test with Guard is is the real the real insider. He can completely just destroy offenses when he wants to, and he looks very he makes a good highlights package. I think is the, the thing that kind of stands to him more than anything else. Yeah, I think the general agreement now is that the front matters more than the back end at the moment. Like during the Legion of Boom era, there was a little bit of shift back there, but I think right now people would agree. I'd much rather have a dominant edge rusher. I think most people actually prefer it to be like a dominant interior. A guy who can go out on the edge like Chris Jones or Aaron Donald back in the day. Well, still can do to a, to a large extent, or TJ Watt. But uh, yeah, if if the if the best guy is edge rushers or an interior, someone gets sacked, they're probably going to win it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a big uh, NFL honors for Houston. They got both of the uh, rookies of the year. So offensive rookie of the year with their, their quarterback. Like the Jets last year. Yeah, the double last year. Well, yeah, so look how it worked out for them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, on the plus side, the QB is the offensive rookie of the year well, for them. Yeah. So that's a, that's a bit of a stronger building point, I imagine. Uh, CJ Stroud, we all kind of agreed with this at the mid-season point as well. He's played exceptionally well. He kind of had a he, he had a, an impressive yet quiet first half of the season where he was fine and just not making too many mistakes and just being quite competent at a level you weren't expecting. And then the second half really started to take off with a lot of fourth quarter comeback wins, a lot of big time throws. He did have one or two slightly further down games towards the tail end but overall an injury as well and an injury as well but like overall a very very strong uh, yeah. a very very strong performance somebody was suggesting Puka Nakuma should have got some more love for breaking the, the wide receiver record uh, yeah rookie wide receiver record no I think that's fair but I think if you have this kind of like like first year looking like a generational quarterback it's going to be hard to beat them like so yeah. I think this is completely fair well like we said like on the back of CJ Stroud we were saying that the Houston Texans were the kind of team that you wouldn't really want to bump into in a surprise wild card round or whatever because they would have the ability to kind of go off in a way that you wouldn't normally expect a team uh, that was, was, was uh, you know yeah. kind of but that love the Puka you're also great Oh, he is, yeah, no, he's great. Uh, sure, we gave him some love. I said I'd put him onto the, uh, onto the Pro Bowl team for the for the Pro Bowl hype. And uh, defensive rookie, they got their uh, edge rusher, Will Anderson, in there, who had a decent season as well. Um, I, I'm less convinced on the Will Anderson one. I think he's good, but... Um, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't as yeah. blow your this socks off close. as the offensive side. I think like guys wasn't, like wasn't Jalen Carter like a in terms of Vegas odds or whatever. He was a runaway yeah. leader. I think it's one point. So, so. like, but then he, they kind of fell a, off a bit in usage, so they didn't yeah. use him as much down the stretch. And also, their defense came a big yeah. steaming pile of poo <laughs> he, down he, the stretch he, as well. He, he definitely suffered from being on the Eagles towards the back end and people just going completely off the Eagles. Um, Kobe Turner had some late season hype. He actually had a lot of sacks in that uh, Rams front. Uh, especially towards the end of the year and Devin Witherspoon he was probably injured too much to be really a big factor but yeah I think Will Anderson probably staying on a defence that didn't completely fall off a cliff plus being a full-time player plus he has the obviously being a high drafted guy uh, yeah. hype just name recognition so I, I think it's yeah I, I don't think this is as clear as CJ Stroud but yeah I, I definitely wouldn't disagree with it it's like coin flip with Jalen Carter at best and probably a biased one in favour of Anderson. Yeah, uh, I think the biggest surprise came in comeback player of the year. The locked on favourite, Damar Hamlin, didn't manage to get it. He came second to Joe Flacco, Cleveland quarterback. Uh, this kind of came out of, there was interesting discussion afterwards about how people voted in this. So comeback player of the year is a bit of a mess because no one really knows what it is. Uh, is it coming back from injury? Obviously, Damar Hamlin had a great story, but also didn't really play a wild pile. Like his Probably his most noteworthy play was the fail uh, fourth down fake punt sneak in the Chiefs game um, but equally Alex Smith won it the year after his horrendous leg injury and he played terrible in the games that he played the following year uh, and then there's also just been seasons where like players have just gotten it for having a better than mediocre season following a mediocre season looking at you yeah, Philip Rivers 
And this is interesting because, you know, uh, people are into voting um, methodologies. Mm-hmm. It's, this was won because Joe Flacco got a lar- much larger amount of seconds. Most of the second places, yeah. Yeah, over um, Demar Hamlin who actually got more first. But there's this handful of people who didn't vote for Demar Hamlin at all. And so effectively, Joe Flacco won on a ranked choice basis. So if you're into your your first past the post versus your... Uh, you know, PRCV type systems. Uh, this is uh, one where, you know, depending how you fell in this uh, edge, you might uh, have stronger opinions about that. But yeah, look, I think both of them were really good stories. Obviously, DeMar Hamlin coming back and actually playing at all. Like, he was a backup safety beforehand. He was only playing last yeah. year because um, they had injuries there. So he had a role expected from a backup safety. You know, if that special teams play against Kansas City had played off, maybe he'd have a, a strong, you know, that people would have felt uh, more well that's before that came in but um yeah he didn't really do much this year so it's fair enough they didn't vote for him and joe flacco coming back in from being literally unemployed for most of the season and obviously he's just a guy that you know he's a meme he like everyone you know everyone knows who joe flacco is and it's elite joe broke back and the jokes are easy so yeah it's fair enough i, I get it. i get it it's fine yeah uh cleveland head coach Stefan stefanski won coach of the year uh obviously they played quite well uh they kind of went through a lot of adversity uh you know was it four different starting quarterbacks this season for them and obviously into the playoffs and everything so it was i suppose somewhat earned i i've always i always find the coach of the year one a little bit hard to figure out because again they kind of don't like to vote for like big established name coaches like bill belichick they got usually yeah like you know it's like Best, best, uh, best wins over expected type of reward is usually coach of the year. But, but even under that, is Stefanski, did he do the, the best job? That I mean, you think about alternatives, Dan Campbell comes to mind, D'Amico Ryan's at Houston. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Stefanski, yeah, they overcame some difficulties and they won a, a lot more games than Cleveland usually win. But I don't know. Did it stand out as, as an amazing, unexpectedly good season in the way, for example, that the Texans did, which I think you'd have to give a lot of credit yeah. to the coach. Yeah, yeah. For, for what they it was very close Texas. between him and Ryan's to be fair so I think the, the voters recognise that but I think you know Stefanski they probably looked at it and go like how much did the coach have to do and it's like well he had to go through like four different quarterbacks um, he lost his best running back you know a whole bunch of it like a lot of adversity um, whereas the Texans like they probably gave the rewards to the Texans you know if you give both rookie awards to the Texans you're going well they have a really strong foundations and they're going to go even better things going now and, and maybe it's also like a, well this is probably as good as it gets for Cleveland so you might as well give Stefanski on <laughs> before the cap turns into absolute hell and, and things get even more challenging if he manages the same results next year after whatever they have to do in the offseason to make this work then he'll have earned it even more so next year maybe it's just because he managed to you know run the team and not have us have to look at Deshaun Watson that's uh that's uh, that's worth enough I think okay. uh Cleveland defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz won assistant of the year uh they did have a very good defense I would I'm, I get I, I, again this kind of comes down to the is it over expected or whatever but like I think we came into the season expecting Cleveland's defense to be great they were great I would have been looking at someone like Spagnolo for this to be honest I think it's another one of those ones where it's also like, you know, Jim Schwartz has had some pretty tough times during his coaching career, mostly mm. obviously the 0-16 and 16 being most famously so. And obviously he turned around a defence that, yes, was expected to be good given the talent level, but which under previous coordinators had been pretty sucky. So the fact that he took the same people and made it much better made sense. And yeah, I think like Spag's probably, you know, definitely a good shout, but uh, I think the Chiefs didn't have their best year. I know the defence was much better, but they didn't have their best year. So I felt that they were a little bit off the radar because the expectations for that team are so high. 
Yeah, uh, we had our Hall of Fame class as well. Uh, edge rusher Dwight Freeney, wide receiver and special teams are extraordinaire Devin Hester, wide receiver Andre Johnson, edge rusher Julius Peppers, linebacker Patrick Willis, linebacker Randy Gradshar, who's one of the senior selection, and defensive tackle Steve McMichaels, who's also one of the senior selections. A pretty pretty solid group, to be honest, this year. Like, uh, it's, it, it starts to make you feel a bit old whenever you start to see a lot of these names that you watched <laughs> most of their careers, if not all of their careers. But yeah, yeah, a few make-up ones here. I think people have been on the Devin Hester train for a number of years. I think it's like almost like an end-of-the-era uh, type candidate. The only one who in, who was a kick returner of any type who's likely to even be within a sniff of Hester would be Cordell Patterson. We'll see how that works out because that's a, that's a game that's basically disappearing. I think people want you know, put that in the hall for several years. Uh, you know, you can't, Dwight Freeney was one that, like, obviously overshadowed by being on the same team as Peyton Manning or whatever like that, but, you know, wicked known for his, like, spin move and stuff like that, so, uh, and a load, a load of sacks for about him, and Peppers, who, who himself had a lot of sacks as well. I think he was the only first ballot here. Andre yeah. Johnson, obviously, a, a touchstone piece of that Texans team for so many years, over a decade, um, alongside J.J. Watt, so well-deserving, giving his stats. Willis, one of these classic Took him a bit longer than people expect. Some people like he should definitely be in first ballot because he was so dominant during his time in the league. But it was shortened by uh, injuries, unfortunately. And now he's in like after a few years, like that makes sense. So I think the only major snub noted by people was Antonio Antonio Gates Gates, not getting in as a first ballot. Yeah, but like I I get it, and like the the stats, like I get it, like the stats, but like you know, absolute dominant in the red zone, obviously huge. Uh, you know, hugely uh, successful with Philip Rivers over many years. Mm-hmm. I think like it's probably one where I can go, yeah, he should probably get in over a Devin Hester or Patrick Willis, but they've been waiting for a while, so I'm not surprised the voters went, okay, we'll get you in next year, don't worry about it. Like, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame within will, yeah, at yeah. most the next two years. Um, like, but yeah. you know, talking about six All-Pros, I think he leads tight ends in touchdowns. Like, He's 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 gonna get in. It it is a little bit surprising when you look everything stacked up. Like he was on the all decade team and stuff as well for the two thousands. Yeah. You, you you can see why some people might be a bit aggrieved about him not getting in in the first one. Like I said, it's not it doesn't massively matter, but I think it probably matters to him a little bit. Um, I think because also like it's the kind of thing where Antonio Gates was really really good. Uh. He's not ever brought basketball. He's never brought up in these uh, in, in, in these conversations about like the best anti basketball <laughs> bias. Anti basketball bias. Yeah, maybe he gets yeah. in for the NBA Hall of Fame first. But um, <laughs> yeah, like uh, well, like I said, I kind of expect to see him probably next year or whatever get in. Uh, particularly given the online reaction to him not getting in. Uh, we had some coaching moves. Seattle have hired Washington offensive coordinator Ryan Grubbs as their offensive coordinator and Dallas defensive line coach Arden Durd as their defensive coordinator. Obviously, they've got a defensive-minded head coach, so he won't be calling defenses, I doubt. But um, how do you feel about Ryan Grubb? Yeah, so he's coming out of college, obviously. The transfer rate of like college OCs to the NFL has been mixed, I would say, the best, but whether coming in as OCs or HCs or whatever like that. Um, so there's also been very major failures like Cliff Kingsbury for example in recent years um, his offense in Washington I think is a decent fit for the personnel they have it was very downfield orientated Michael Penix had, had a lot of like deep throws and stuff like that but you'd wonder with the way the NFL has adjusted is that something that's going to work at the next level so look I, I'm obviously he's obviously it is a very young coaching ticket both Grubb 
factor and obviously McDonald's himself. So lots of room for growth there. You're investing in, in a long-term project there. But uh, yeah, I think I'd certainly prefer him over like Chip Kelly or, or the other candidates that seem to be put forward there. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, he, he, he was basically hooked into Alabama and then basically backed out of Alabama. He'd already spoken to people in Alabama saying he was new OC going with a head coach who moved to Washington. Um, so obviously he was uh, happy to stay in the Washington area uh, up in the, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, but Adam Durd, yeah, it's going to be mostly McDonald's defense. But Adam Durd, he was the, the defensive defensive line has generally been a strength of that team over the last few years. He's relatively young and he's early 40. So um, hopefully he does a good job of kind of getting up that skill and hopefully getting more sacks out of that uh, defense going forward. Yeah, and Dallas have picked up former Minnesota head coach Mike Zimmer to be their defensive coordinator. Uh, so to win now, Howard. I suppose when they're... <laughs> he's like 67, so you're not exactly going <laughs> to... You don't have too long. Term. Yeah, yeah. And like um, and like it's a big name. It's very like yeah, look, we're putting Dallas together the This is like the old man A team type high coaching ticket now, basically. Uh mm. you know. And just like let's see if they can do it one last And it last uh, it stretches back to their last Super Bowl. He was on the Cowboys staff as like a defensive backs coach when they last won a Super Bowl. Oh so really? Oh, that's really dipping into the into the lore there for that one. <laughs> And I think all, all the candidates considered were like veteran guys, like guys who've been around a while, like he, including even Rex Ryan, I think, who's had some, uh, some, some pop. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it's been confirmed Zimmer is now in there, CC. Interesting, interesting. Uh, we've had a couple of moves, well, one or two moves, I suppose. Uh, the big one being Pittsburgh have released quarterback Mitch Trubisky and uh, Pickett, Rudolph, plus whoever they pick up are going to compete for the starter role, I suppose. Mitch Trubisky, obviously, uh, this is... Was, was this his third team or his second team? Third team, wasn't it? Yeah, he was a backup somewhere else. Wasn't he? Yeah, because he was. Yeah, he, so he, he was. He, he kind of famously was the was the savior that Chicago drafted ahead of Pat Mahomes uh, in that draft, and then flamed out. He was of there, the Bills for a year. Went to the yeah. Bills for a year, and then he's over with Pittsburgh. So he's yeah, like, he's gone. This this was coming like he got benched for you know Mason Rudolph because he was so shit. So and yeah. Rudolph was better. Like I don't think Rudolph was great, but he was certainly better than. Than Mitch, so Mitch will probably be at the lower end of backup QBs going around this offseason. But uh, we'll have a whole podcast to talk about the the, the, the free agency merry-go-round uh, in a month or so. Yeah, uh, we also had obviously we'll be talking about the game shortly, but there's a, an injury that's relevant from that linebacker Dre Greenlaw. Uh, kind of tore his Achilles in a very, very unfortunate set of events where he was just running onto the field after a kick and uh, he just took off a bit weirdly on his foot and snapped his Achilles, uh, so then was out from that point onwards. Uh, this injury coming this late means he'll likely miss a good chunk of the 2024 season, and that is suboptimal, both just you know from him from a health perspective, but it's also a contract year for him, so he kind of wants to perform highly at this year, so there'll be a lot of pressure on the back end for him to get back out there and prove his value before he hits well Sam Fran might keep him but before he has a chance to take a bite at the free agents apple you know like post hoc ergo proctor hoc but you know the, the San Francisco defense definitely statistically and there's the points allowed did much worse when he went off in like the middle of the second quarter so you know obviously we, we could speculate whether it was him or in Burks was the problem but well, like, to, look, be, like, to, to be fair the, the, the chap who came in to replace him I believe allowed a perfect passer rating against himself so uh, yeah it was uh, obviously a bit of a, a weak point for them yeah like the most notable shot for Aaron Burks was him trying to jump a high ball that, that the MVS touched on basically um, mm-hmm. after the uh, turnover on, on the punt but yeah look Greenlaw really great player obviously he's not Fred Warner but he's basically that level below obviously key to the kind of linebacker depth that's been mm-hmm. huge like the NFL has changed where linebackers I think 
vastly increasing in value. You expect linebackers to get paid well this offseason. So to Shut up. Basically we have some linebackers that need paying. <laughs> Depress that market. Achilles is usually 9 to 12 months, so you're talking about at best getting back for like you know November December yeah at worst missing the entirety of next season he will probably still have a free agency market assuming you know there's no issues with the recovery um but it will be majorly depressed what he would expect to get if he had a season if he's if he's out with injury for the majority of the year do they get a deferred year in his contract or no 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 no, that that, no it still tolls uh when he's off in if he's on IR it'll toll Fair enough, fair enough. Um, it's different yeah. if it's like a non-football injury. If it's yeah, a football injury. that's what I was thinking. I wasn't sh- I wasn't certain on that, but uh, no, tough times for, for Greenlaw. And then I suppose the only other bit of news is the International Series had a bit of news uh, in 2025, so not this year, next year. Uh, we will be seeing an international game in Spain. It's going to be in Madrid, and it's going to be uh, at the Bernabeu, which is going to host the game. So uh, that should be very exciting. I think as soon as we saw it, all of us immediately said, yeah, we're going to try and get tickets to that. That'll be great fun. Like, yeah, and I'm probably as likely as getting tickets for these Germany games, given uh, how popular it seems to be. <laughs> the only, the only, uh, the only plus would be that there are... 80,000, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a bigger stadium, and also, uh, to my knowledge, there's significantly less American troops stationed in Spain versus Germany. <laughs> True. Plus, very, NFL Europe was true. much more popular in Germany back in the day, right? So Yeah. Uh, it was, wasn't unpopular in Spain, but like Germany was like the hub outside of the UK for, for NFL. Yeah. Uh, and Bernabeu, I think it's just recently been redeveloped, so... It should be an all, uh, you know, a luxury experience, as it were, uh, mm. from that stadium. And yeah, I think they went into a bunch of debt, to, as usual, Real Madrid did to uh, redevelop it. So uh, yeah, yeah. Don't my my understanding is, is that, they, the that their target was here. to start bringing in more and more events like this, and kind of uh, you know, kind of yeah. make it more multifaceted as a as, as a stadium, right? Yeah, basically. So I would imagine. Don't be surprised if this is not the last game in the Bernabeu. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we'll we'll keep you informed as we kind of hear any more information about that, or if they announce teams or anything like that. But uh, yeah, so that's not this season. Just for the listeners, that'll be next season again. So you won't be seeing it at the end of this year. You'll be seeing it in twenty twenty five. And on that lovely note, we'll go and have a look at the Super Bowl. Okay, so uh, Kansas City were technically the home team in this one, uh, taking on San Francisco. It ended up 25-22 to 22 in overtime. Uh, Kansas City kind of eke out the win in overtime with uh, Hardman doing a fake sweep backwards touchdown after a very long, slow, grinding uh, Kansas City drive. I believe there was 13 seconds left in overtime or something along those lines left at that stage. Uh, you may... Though, to be clear, it would have continued into another quarter if it, the clock had run out. Yes. Apparently, San Francisco weren't uh, au fait with all of the uh, new overtime oh, yeah, They didn't rules. understand <laughs> any of the OT rules from the sounds of it. Mm. Well, we get to that when we talk about OT, but yeah, uh, San Francisco maybe made some strategic mistakes. Yeah, they maybe the, made a couple of mistakes there. Uh, there was quite interesting, the, um, the final play call, you may think it looks a little bit similar because it looks almost identical to two of the touchdowns the Chiefs scored against Philadelphia last year. They used the same kind of motion in, hook around, back, fake sweep movement, although this time it was not called corndog. Uh, ketchup and mustard was the internal term for it, but I think they went with red and yellow when they called it on the field. Um, but yeah, no, it was a big long drive at the end. Mahomes had a couple of rushes, a particularly big fourth down rush that was kind of a naked boot. Uh, and yeah, it was it was very exciting. Uh, San Francisco only managed to get a field goal on there over time. So then, uh, well, as we said, we'll discuss them as we break down the game part by part. But um, yeah, I think overall at kind of a macro level, there were, this was a, a very good game, very much a game of two halves where the first half was very, very defensive and the second half, it opened up a little bit more. We saw 
play from defense, from special teams, and from offense, all impacting stuff here. And there was mistakes on both sides. So Sam Fran had, you know, a, a fumble on a punt. They had a missed point after. Uh, they had a they had a big fumble on their opening drive as well. And the Chiefs on the other side also had. I think they had was it five fumbles in the game, and uh, they recovered a good chunk of them. But uh, it was still quite sloppy. Uh, Mahomes ended up with 399 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. But you know. None of that came particularly easy. They had to work pretty hard to get there. Purdy had a pretty good game. He actually probably played at a higher level than I was expecting him to play. And when we were doing our previews, we were saying, the Sean said, uh, the the more I hear Brock Purdy in the announcers, the more I feel like they, the 49ers are going to be behind or losing. He actually played a pretty good game. He had 267 yards and a touchdown. Um, but, you know, he was sailing a couple of balls here and there. There was... Particularly, there were some problems with the San Francisco interior line blocking in this that was kind of causing them problems. But we'll get into that as we kind of work our way down because that was more in the second half. So we kick off first quarter. We get no scoring in the first quarter. San Francisco start out with a fairly decent looking drive. I think it was six or seven plays long. But Christian McCaffrey fumbles the ball at the KC 29 uh, and turns the ball over. He isn't able to recover it. But... Like you said, this is a good defense that came to play. Kansas City were doing some very unusual, and I still don't like them, play call decisions where they just kept trying to make screens work. They went three and out, had to kick it off. Then we see another drive stall after flags, and it's just just an absolute kind of mess, to be honest, as we go down. So we have our fumble, punt, punt, punt. And then it's only there that we start to get the first, uh, first points of the game. So we had a very defensive first quarter in here, like... What did we what did we make of it? Did we think there was anything particularly noteworthy in in what was happening scheme wise or anything at this point? Well, I, mean, I do think that San Francisco probably started the stronger, and certainly in the first half as a whole, they were definitely the stronger team, and maybe there were some missed opportunities here. I do feel they they kind of set up offensively. I think their big thing was they kept playing the two running back one tight end, the two one set, which limited the types of players that Kansas City could get on the field. So I think they were able to basically dictate terms on that side uh, of the ball. But when you fumble that earth, like obviously all, I, I think the general play plan these, these days is for teams to go out with the first 15 or so yeah. offensive play scripted so they can get a sense of what the other team is going to throw at them in certain scenarios. When you fumble that early in that sequence, I think that does screw up those, that kind of planning. Um, because you kind of have to go back to square one and try and figure things out in a different way. So I, I think if I think if San Francisco, I mean, I think a lot of this game, as we'll, we'll talk about, comes down to San Francisco not taking advantage of the times they were dominant. And I think the first quarter, and especially that first drive, is a good example of that. That, that should have been at least a field goal. And even the way the momentum was going, I think they probably would have scored a touchdown had it not been for that fumble. And that, that's, whatever, seven points left on the board. And I mm-hmm. feel like that is the, the beginning of a trend in this game of San Francisco when they're on top not taking advantage of those moments whereas whereas when Kansas City got on top later in the game they were constant they, they were they were getting in every time they were getting points on the board every time they, they got into dangerous positions yeah I think you're all, almost underselling how dominant they were in this, especially in this first quarter like that first drive they they looked pretty much unstoppable until that fumble CMC seemed to be able to find space at ease was running for at least five yards or ten yards and chunks like that they the play action was working 
perfectly for the use check uh, big catch and cnc yeah. had a nice catch over the middle as well it just looked like they you know they, and we always know that with these elite offensive coaches like andy reed like shanahan they come out with their game script right the first game like 15 plays and scripted out and it looked like the script was going perfectly to plan and yeah. then it was absolutely going off and even when they had the fumble right um the next play three and out versus this chief's offense the chiefs didn't look like they had anything they had they were trying like a, they had a run that got stonewalled they had a screen pass to kelsey i believe that went got stonewalled and then they had like a short makeup pass uh, but nowhere near converting um and you kind of went and the 49ers defense looked up for it and i almost think there's like an alternative universe where this could have been like the um the seahawks denver super bowl back in the day where you know one team just absolutely obliterates the other side early on and takes a huge momentum advantage in the other team i think with mahomes they probably would have better outcome than the, the, the denver had over the course of the game but that, that it would have been an e well i'd say a pretty definitive san francisco win but i think you know when they get to their next drive after that three and out you know then the things start coming in they have a couple of mistakes they get a couple of flags they end up in a second and 27 you know that just kills the momentum like you know no blame to losing to that type of situation that just shit happens like but then they get another sack in the next drive they stop you know they're doing everything right and like early on like even early on the second for the first half and even almost at this point you could see when it cut the shanahan he's like i am ca-, like you know you see the cogs whirring like i'm calling a great game things are going well but it's not converting into dominance on the only place that it matters which is on obviously the scoreboard mm-hmm. um and it's just like you kind of feel like that yeah the opportunities lost the psychological burden of not turning this early dominance into actual you know definitive dominance where it matters ended up being very significant now it, it's it's good because like you know finally towards the end of this quarter as we slip into the second quarter they finally do set things going and it's not true like they're big guys they make some nice plays to chris conley and they make a nice play to uh juan jennings who, uh, sorry mcleod who makes a big play here yeah, yeah. 19 yards from mcleod there yeah and you know as we as we filter into the second quarter that's the long drive they set up and they kind of steady the ship by getting the uh field goal but three points for like effectively just like the first quarter plus a little bit extra not just rewards for how dominant they were early on in this game. Yeah, because as you see, they were moving it quite well coming up to the end of that quarter. Then you see it start to break down a little bit. So you have an incomplete deep pass to Ayuk. You have McCaffrey stuffed by FAU for like a loss of four or five yards. And then another missed deep ball to Samuel. Uh, and obviously, you know, what, what they were trying to do was to try and get those chunk plays out, trying to really get it going, but it just wasn't working yet. And that kind of caused... And, and, it was it was a good field goal and it was also for a period the longest field goal in super bowl history uh unfortunately and, and that- on on those deep shots i would say like it's not like those were easy throws any of them I and mean, he was no. under pressure for several of the ones that he missed uh, you should talk about there but also later on but they're also like ones where you go like it would be an amazing play if he had made it and there are now quarterbacks that we almost expect to make it like mahomes these days so it did kind of feel like um i don't like it's not me going i was bad because he missed those deep shots it's more like you know, do we is the elite level of quarterbacking now that we expect you to hit at least one or two of those deep shot opportunities yeah. that were out there throughout the game to get that big explosive touchdown? Which obviously the theme of this season is get rid of explosives, but they did have a few ops and they didn't take care of take care take take them mm-hmm. when they had them for Purdy. Yeah, so they're up by three at this point. Uh, the Chiefs kind of start to get something moving a little bit, so they get seven yards out of Pacheco. Uh, they get another two yards. Then Rice kind of goes off the right tackle, a short little run, fumbles the ball, but uh, they were actually able to, to, to hold on to it. Justin Watson recovered the uh, the, the, the fumble by Rice. Uh, and then we see the first of the kind of like 
Pat Mahomes-style plays. We see, finally, a big chunk play. McCole Hardman uh, all the way down to the San Francisco 9, a 52-yard pass play, and everyone was getting up out of their seats, getting really, really excited. Isaiah Pacheco goes off the left tackle, and is it Denor Lenore? Uh, knocks the ball out he fumbles it and it's recovered and the Chiefs turn the ball over in a prime scoring position on the San Francisco 8 and I, I won't lie I was a bit heartbroken at that point <laughs> yeah and as I said everything up to this point is like the Chiefs you know the Chiefs finally get a breakout moment an explosive play which obviously you know it's tough in the, the, the this year's NFL and then it comes to nothing and I wouldn't be surprised as a Chiefs fan if, as a fan you're kind of going uh, this is difficult and I think it was on that fumble that you got the famous shot of Kelsey bumping into Andrew Reid looking quite uh, annoyed about things because he was yeah. off the field at that point and so like you know there's obviously in a different world where San Francisco win this game or dominate this game where that becomes like the thing that defines the Super Bowl for chance to Chiefs but obviously uh, that's not what turned out to, to be uh, relevant by the end of the game as we'll talk about yeah um so the ball gets turned over and the 49ers who are feeling pretty good they moved the ball well on their last possession uh it doesn't quite work out quite as well this time around so we have a a scramble for nine yards which is pretty good uh and then that gets increased even further because there's a penalty against nick bolton for a horse collar tackle uh which interestingly enough i, I thought you actually had to get your hands into the horse collar for it but uh yeah. this is, you don't so that's fine like do you have connor with the victim narrative oh poor jeez we're no, only I, one I two just, both in a row i just i just I, I didn't know that was the rule it's good to know uh Debo goes up the middle for one yard christian mccaffrey is stopped by jones and pinnell for no gain and then brock purdy is sacked so the chiefs defense are really starting to to heat up here at this point and uh yeah so they have a nice nice big punt uh it was fine there was a bit of a mistake here richie james kind of muffs the catch but he does recover it so it's not too bad but um the chiefs are kind of out of sorts at this point and they have a three play negative three yards drive and they have to just punt it away and that's what leads to the san francisco touchdown drive an eight play 67 yards uh possession that go takes about three and a half minutes off the clock and you see a nice mix of you know to be honest it, it was surprising the run game that i had expected to be the dominant force for the san francisco team really wasn't all that productive in this game i think uh we'll see at the end christian mccaffrey ended up kind of was it 3.2 or 3.3 yards a carry like they the chiefs defense really started to sell out to stop the run and hope that their secondary are going to be able to to hold on to the hold on to these wide receivers uh, and unfortunately some of this kind of just doesn't go their way they've got you see a little bit of annoyance slipping in there's there's a big kind of second and three and uh sneed gave an unnecessary roughness penalty which gave them an extra 15 yards and those it was it was fine you could see that they were moving the ball but they weren't quite as comfortable as they wanted to be and then the 49ers just went you know what it's time to time to make a big play happen and we got the kind of fun trick play where Joan Jennings uh, receives the ball uh, and then stands back flicks it all the way back across the field to Christian McCaffrey who takes it the 21 yards for a touchdown Um, I must say that was an absolutely beautiful play Uh, I think drawn up perfectly executed perfectly because you could see how close the pass rushers were to Jennings whenever he was passing that ball so like the timing just worked out perfectly for them uh it was very very impressive and I started to get a little bit worried at that point I won't lie um that yeah this was starting to get uh a little bit when when your wide receivers are throwing passes for touchdowns this early in the game you start to get a little bit worried you know I actually kind of disagree with that a little bit. I thought it was a really messy trick play. It it looked like the thing had broken down, and Jennings threw 
McCaffrey was surrounded by players, like when he was thrown to him, and I think an awful lot of what happened afterwards was was CMC taking advantage of the chaos. Now I don't know, maybe it was designed to look like a broken play, that therefore CMC would have some certain some running lanes to get into. But it, from from what I saw, it looked like this play was a disaster until CMC found a way to 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 make turn it into something magical. Now I'd have to see probably see probably the the tape and break it down a bit better to have an idea of which one it was. But given my admittedly somewhat inebriated view of it at the time, I was like, <laughs> my God, what was that? I can't believe they got away with that. It, it looked like a complete mess at the time to me, to be honest. Yeah, it's hard to decipher, but I do think the risk profile by the time Juwan Jennings threw it, and he was under a bit of pressure, and he's a high school quarterback, I believe, um, so he had some experience, um, wasn't too bad. I think CMC was in the right... There was no... Chiefs defender who had an obvious path to intercept it between Jennings and CMC and then it's really just about the blocking there and a little bit lucky there obviously in terms of some over pursuit but um, I think overall it was well designed enough and obviously went as well as you could expect for a special team play like that but I think as we said in terms of the overall first half it felt like a just reward and yeah I think to a certain extent you kind of go okay now they're 10-0 up I think that's still a significant proportion below what you think they should be up, given what they've done uh, in this first half so far, outside allowing that big Hardman play. Um, so it kind of, you know, and that, that drive was pretty solid, right? Like they got some help from the refs, of course, but, you know, overall I'd say that drive was pretty solid and they were getting production. Yes, it wasn't just CMC anymore. Um, you were getting production from guys like Debo and uh, Elijah Mitchell was even throwing a little bit there. Um, but yeah, it kind of felt like Shanahan definitely felt like, okay, oh, I gotta get something there. Let's get the let's get the toys out and start doing stuff now because um, uh, we need to get some points on the board just to steady the ship. And of course, you know, ideally then, you know, given that you've been so dominant on defense up to that, you're hoping that you can go in with a 10-0 lead, like a two-score lead, um, but uh, not to be, apparently. No, no. So the Chiefs kind of start to get it going on the next drive. It's a 13-play, 65-yard uh, play uh drive that takes four minutes off the clock now at this point there's four minutes and 20 seconds on the clock so it kind of kills off the tail end of the half and they look to be a bit more methodical after i don't know if it was that the 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 deep pass play uh previously meant that the safeties held back a little bit further but they started going underneath an awful lot more they you know rushed pacheco out of shotgun and god i hate them running out of shotgun so much uh, off the sides yeah, but uh, it's, it's the one thing everyone hates but like apparently if you're doing shotgun you have to run and it's like but all the runs from shotgun are terrible like that's part yeah. of like when you talk about the eagles apparently that's a huge part of the reason why they kind of got stuck in the mud towards the end of the season because they're over reliance on that yeah uh, so but yeah this was a this looked more like it obviously the green line injury at this point had already kicked in, so maybe there's also a factor from that as well. Yeah, so we've got, you know, you got Pacheco on uh, three straights, so two rushes, eight yards, six yards, and there's a pass for six yards. Uh, then, like, you know, we start to see a little bit more opening up, so you get uh, Justin Watson picking up 21 yards through the air. Uh, and at this point, you're also starting to see, like, mistakes from Sam Fran. There's, there's penalties here, but, you know, the... They're happening on plays where there's bigger stuff happening, so they're not getting accepted. Like there's holding on on a few bits here and there. Uh, like you've got Pacheco picking up eight yards, six yards again. Uh, Pat Mahomes and you know they get to a minute, they take their first time out there at the San Francisco 14. They're desperate really to get a to get a touchdown here, but it's unfortunately not to be. So they get 
they're still keeping this kind of short screen game stuff going. So like they go first down and second down here are both essentially screen plays to right on the left and right hand side and nothing is really going. They take out another timeout, they drop a play and you get a sack in that one. So then uh, they just have to settle for the field goal and uh, that takes us pretty much to the end of the half. We just see a, a short run from McCaffrey uh, for six yards and then that's the end of the quarter. So we go in to half time at uh, three to ten uh, Chiefs down a score now the Chiefs are receiving the ball after half time I was not too bad at this point I kind of said my my feeling going into the game was the longer the game remains close the more I felt like the Chiefs would be able to just figure it out get it going and being down by one instead of two scores felt better and particularly with the with, with them receiving the ball in the second half uh, that was fine I did Take some Vox Pops in the bar of uh, a number of our friends and yourselves and what you thought the the uh, second half was going to be. It did seem to overwhelmingly be siding towards the Niners at this point. Uh, unfortunately, the, <laughs> the, the audio quality from the bar is not very good, so we're not going to uh, put the listeners through it. But uh, we had our halftime show. What were our initial takes on the Usher halftime show? I, I was underwhelmed. Uh, I heard it, people generally liked it, but I... It didn't seem to have too many standout moments. Uh, there was like the one song that people were singing along to, but not an awful lot else. The guests, the Alicia Keys, Ludacris, and other people who I didn't even recognize were like, it all felt quite a bit like mid-2000s mm. attempt at nostalgia, but as someone who went through that era as a young person, I didn't feel much nostalgia for it at all, to be honest. So, hmm. uh, yeah, I didn't feel it was one of. I felt it was one of the lesser, lesser lights in terms of halftime shows. It didn't feel like one that would that would stick in the memory. There was no standout moment that you'd really think about. Yeah. None of the songs were particularly mind blowing. Uh, so it was. Yeah, it just felt a bit meh to me, to be honest. What about like, yourself, Ronan? I, I think it wasn't a bad one. I think, like I said, it would be like a solid 7 out of 10. Maybe I still think it's like a 6 to 7 out of 10. Um, I think obviously, you know, even some of the lesser people who've performed at the halftime show, like people like uh, Shakira and J-Lo or uh, Katy Perry, they tended to bring out all the stops to put on a show, basically a spectacle. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Usher kind of did that. But I think in terms of just a tight show that went through his discography, um, obviously brought in all the greatest hits. He did do some fun stuff. Like he actually had a planned, like basically slow on stripping, which I'm sure was popular with the ladies. He is a good looking man. And, <laughs> um, you know, and it's certainly superior to what uh, Maroon 5 were putting up there a couple of years ago um, in terms of the whole taking his, that felt just like he's taking his shirt off because he ran out of ideas and he knew it wasn't going well. Uh, but he seemed to be having fun and everyone around him seemed to be having fun and the uh, most of the collaborations were pretty good. Alicia Keys looked good with the uh, p- piano solo and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, look, I, I enjoyed the end of it, like the whole like little John Ludacris, you know, yeah, ending I thought was good. Um and, you know, even got the ludicrous, like, rap part of that, which for a Super Bowl is pretty racy. That's not saying much, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty racy, I'd say. But, yeah, I think, I think you know, he brought a good energy to it. He brought, he was obviously very enthusiastic about it. He did roller skating and shit like that. Mm. He changed his costume several times. Like, I think, in, like, I think we've got used to a higher level of spectacle for people like Katy Perry or even, like, Lady Gaga and stuff like that. Um, but I think it's a very, it's probably a... a the best version of his kind of Vegas show that he's been mm. very, very popular. And he's very charming. I think it's one that the ladies probably enjoyed a lot more than the men. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's got a kind of dweeb energy, surprisingly, that that's kind of, I think, pers- like uh, persuasive. The thing, I quite like Usher. Uh, I, I really don't think he sang particularly well. Uh, in yeah, this... better, rela- kind of 
interjecting singing rather than actually singing anything much himself. Yeah. I thought. Um, like I thought, like I thought it was very mid. Uh, would be my take on it. I thought, like I like Usher. I think he a lot of personality and stuff. I just don't think the don't think the music was there really for it uh, all that much. I still bopped away to a couple of tracks. Like it was, uh, it was good fun, but uh, it wasn't. It did. It didn't stand out. It'll be one that they were very probably quickly forget i imagine that in two or three years time we'll kind of be struggling to remember who played this halftime show would be my guess um but yeah so we finish up there we move into the second half uh kansas city are going to receive the ball so they do and everything's going to go great uh they're going to score a touchdown everything's going to be really happy it starts with a fumble on the first play uh but it is recovered uh then an incomplete uh oh no sorry there was a completed pass to noah gray for 10 yards although at this point they are second and 22 and on third and 12, Pat Mahomes sails a ball deep right that was meant to go to MVS and it was intercepted by the 49ers. Brown well, picked it off. We don't know if it was supposed to be for MVS or Kelsey. Yes, that's an indication of how bad it was. <laughs> yeah, it was very sloppy. It reminded me a huge amount of the pick he threw against uh, the Raiders on Christmas because uh, it was yeah. into the same area of the field. And it also just it felt like he didn't know which one of the two he was throwing it to and kind of ended up just going in the middle. So that was quite a bit of a mess and and, that, yeah. and this feels like it should be a turning point right like this mm-hmm. is uh, in the inside the Kansas City half and it, it won't be because there'll be actually a bit of period here where not much happens after this uh, drive uh, mm-hmm. but you know you're at the full Kansas City 44 and then you fail to convert that into any points again for San Francisco like that, that felt like a point where they could have taken this game again uh, like the early game by the scruff of the neck but they basically kind of pooter out uh, quite quite sadly to be honest I think there is a flag in there as well that didn't help uh, but that that you know, uh, there's so many points in this game. You go like 49ers that they just shown up at those key moments. They could have made I think got KC into more desperation mode, which I think they were a little bit coming out of the half. They wanted to make a point, um, and it was just it just wasn't to be. It felt like it just didn't seem to quite have it in their locker, and they just kept it close. And you said the longer it kept close, the more you felt bad yeah. about it because this felt like you know Kansas City. They made like they made self like they screwed up the first thing after finally setting the ship at the end of the second half with well sorry end of the first half with probably the most 2023 chiefs basically drive you know <laughs> yeah long grinding kick a field goal in the red zone like and then you think okay they can build on that and make this close again but yeah at that, at that point mm-hmm. you felt like san francisco you have this big op and it doesn't go anywhere and then you know the next two drives are like they, they punt the ball well they pin kansas city at the two uh kansas city uh, basically failing on third and one then and then uh, san francisco lose eight yards in the jennings pass so they, they exchange punts and yeah, it just uh, it just it just felt like another turning point that that didn't happen. I yeah, I so at this it. point, you can see that like the the the, the halftime chat that Spagnola had had with the defense, who'd overall done pretty well. Like we said, like allowing ten points to a team that felt like they had been dominant for a half and should be further ahead is good. But then they really started with the clamps on it. So the the, the three 49ers, uh, the next three 49ers possessions are for minus one yard, minus one yard, zero yards. So, like, the, the, the Chiefs' defense really just stepped up and started causing yeah. them a they, huge amount of problems. I think you, you yeah. said it, like, you referred to it there, like, they were turning up the heat slowly, right? They were getting more aggressive, they were blitzing a bit more. They basically much went exclusively to man-to-man in the second half, or pretty much from the first quarter onwards. Yeah. After the first quarter, I think they saw the zone, soft zones weren't going to work as Brock Birdie's going to slice and dice you. And that, you know, they got the horses to do that because they got great defensive backs and they were getting great pressure from Karloftis and Chris Jones in particular. Um, so, so obviously you need the right personnel to do it, but I think a lot of people are now saying today, similar to how Cleveland had a lot of success against this offense early on in the season, you know, if you got the horses, you know, don't give them any respect. Go to man to man. Get aggressive. Make Purdy make the big tough decisions. And mm-hmm. more, you know, he's a great, he's a he's a really great ascending quarterback. But you know, 
given his lack of physical tools and potentially obviously inexperience, you know, if you got the horses, you can you can get to him. You can make mistakes. Yeah, I kind of feel that this is the point where if we're talking about the chess match between the coaches. This is the point where Kansas City started to, to to find the weak spots in the San Francisco offense, and I do think that Purdy was. If not necessarily, it's probably the wrong thing to call him the weak spot, but he's definitely something that they could, his tendencies they could pick on. So one of the big things statistically that, that I that I saw coming out of this is that Purdy's, the difference in Purdy's completion rates between when he had like three seconds in the pocket versus when he was didn't have three seconds, it was, was monumental. Like he was very close to perfect when he had, the, he had the time to see what was happening. But the combination of, as you were talking about, you know, going man to man, not giving easy options, combined with the, the kind of the front pressure, um, I think he, he had a very poor completion rate, uh, under 50% for those kinds of passes. And so I think in the third quarter, this is where Kansas City start to figure out, this is how we get at this offense. We do both of these things at the same time, and Purdy ends up not having any, having to throw quickly without having good options. And that's when you start to really, you know, hone in on someone's weaknesses or, or their, their, their less superstarness quality, if you, if you want to call it that. And I think they, they showed in the third quarter that, Kansas City showed that they could win this game. Now, what what's really interesting is if we get into the obviously in the the, the common narrative then would have been a, and a, they, and San Francisco dropped away. But what's really interesting in the fourth quarter is that Purdy Purdy finds a way to readjust and get things going, and San Francisco kind of punch back in in the the chess match in terms of the, the coaches figuring out how to get the offense going again. But definitely this period is when that that there is this feeling I think when you see teams like the Pats or the Chiefs or one of these dynasty teams, there's a feeling in every game when the, the sense of doom begins to fall on everybody that's not a fan of that team. You begin to feel like, oh, this is it. They're just going to win now. And I I really felt in the third quarter that sense of doom was coming down. And maybe it was coming down on the San Francisco players as well, this sense that they, the San Francisco offense has just stopped working in any capacity and the Chiefs are chipping away and chipping away and they're finding little ways to, to get forward and they're kicking long field goals and, and you know, they get they get ahead in this point and you, you kind of feel that, om- that sense of ominous doom as the game is over. And what I think is amazing about this game and what made it a great spectacle at the end is that the Niners didn't collapse. A lot of teams, I think, would have collapsed at this point. Uh, um, a lot of teams would have fallen away and the Chiefs may have ended up being quite comfortable because the Chiefs kind of, <clears throat> they'd rolled with the punches in the first half, they'd figured things out in terms of the schemes and they'd executed and they looked so much better. It was that kind of thing, adjusting and then you're so much better. It felt like the Chiefs had won the, the coaching battle, um, but the Niners didn't give up and I think that's what made for such a great ending to this game, even if up leading up to that was not necessarily the most aesthetic spectacle in the world yeah so we get the we get a field goal from the chiefs here then uh it's a 57 yard field goal so they kind of <laughs> they then take the longest field goal in the super bowl away from uh away from the 49ers uh two quarters later it's a 57 yarder from butker after a, a, an overall solid drive but then at the, their final set when they started at the san francisco 43 i think it was they kind of just they weren't able to get anything going they were keep kept trying the short game so obviously schematically they thought that was where they were where they were going to find success but just nothing was really going there incomplete a pass short right uh very very short like two yard pass to the left to hardman so they just have to settle for a field goal and then again the chiefs defense step up they get zero the 49ers get zero yards on a three play drive but then the Chiefs only get eight yards on theirs and they have to punt and this is probably quite a large turning point that's 
unfortunately hang over the head of uh, of, of was it uh, Luther was the fella who, who who hit it, but basically they punt the ball. Uh, yeah. It's a forty yard punt all the way down to the San Francisco twenty five, and unfortunately it comes off the back calf of uh, one of the upright blockers. Luther it means it's a live ball. And uh, Watson is able to recover it for the Chiefs, and they set up at the San Francisco 16-yard line, and just a one-play deep pass right to MVS for 16 yards, touchdown, extra point, and the Chiefs. It's now uh, 13 to 13-10, and the Chiefs have their first lead of the uh, of the game at the dying moments of the third quarter. Yeah, this is where the game broke out to a certain extent. I think every. Every uh, drive from this point on will have a score of some type, although mm-hmm. more field goals and touchdowns. Um, and yeah, like, like it felt like this was, like as Sean said, a game where like, the 49ers were mostly holding on, right? It was kind of tight and tense. And then this breaks out and then suddenly everyone's like, okay, we got to get points, right? Like from now on, no more like not getting points. And yeah, like it's unlucky with the punt. Like it just hits off the calf, you know, it'll probably be all over his uh, tape all season. He'll, he'll have to live with that looter. Um, and like, look, the, the, the punt returner himself, McLeod, Obviously, you know, you won't, we're going, well, how, how is he going for the ball? But obviously, because it hit someone else's uh, yeah. leg, it was live and he'd made the right decision to try and get it. And he was obviously just fingertips away from, from getting it and recovering what was a bad situation. And obviously, we know, as you said, the Chiefs had a bunch of their own uh, fumbles, which they managed to recover, including on special teams that obviously could have been turning points in themselves if they'd gone mm-hmm. wrong. Uh, but yeah, to immediately just turn around, you know, after that, like, obviously, big change in momentum and then just to basically throw it to MVS. And as I mentioned earlier, right over the, the grasping, jumping, hand of the replacement linebacker Oren Burks the guy who came in for Greenlaw yeah that kind of felt like a moment where even though obviously this game would go down right to the overtime and stuff like that that felt like the moment where the Chiefs had seized control of the game and and were now you know the, the, the 49ers need to pull out everything and to be fair Sean said they will pull out a lot uh, towards here but you know you probably wouldn't want to have been in that situation to begin with given how much as we said how much had gone right for you in the first half yeah and uh, as Sean was talking about the adjustment starts happening here they've gone it's essentially four straight drives of like one yard is the most they've gained really and then you get a touchdown drive 12 plays 75 yards six minutes off the clock and a good mix of you know different receivers getting involved you get Ayuk in there uh, McCaffrey getting some runs and some passes up there John Jennings Debo they're finally kind of getting it spread around a little bit more they're finding a bit of space against the Kansas City secondary they're finding a bit of time for Purdy in the in the pocket to let him get away uh, eventually this kind of culminates in a uh, Jawan Jennings uh, touchdown and we get the second maybe important turning point for like we say it's little small bits of not executing that are getting them here the 49ers have the point after blocked by Leo Chanel the uh, defensive lineman for the Chiefs and that means that we're sitting at 16-13 rather than 17-13 and uh, how it goes from here is just fairly comprehensive ball movement but not being able to 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 close things out in the red zone the Chiefs respond with a 12 play 69 yards drive 5 minutes 36 but they settle for the field goal at the end to tie it up the 49ers do 40 yards on 7 plays and they t- they pull ahead at 19-16 then the Chiefs 11 plays 64 yards a minute and 50 tie it up at 19 apiece and then we've got the end of regulation so within these I think probably the most important one is the uh 19 to 16 field goal that the 49ers kick because on the final play of that drive it's third and five at the kansas city 35 
there is a wide open Juwan Jennings and uh, I believe there's a second player open as well on that play but the interior blocking of the 49ers line um, for some reason decided on that play the most important play because if they could just get a first down they could eat the clock and then kick a field goal to win they decide to leave Chris Jones unblocked he comes straight through he's on top of Purdy in roughly 1.1 seconds so he just has to get the ball away he sails the pass and that's why we end up with a, uh, a three-point lead and um, basically two minutes on the clock for the Chiefs to go and execute a, a field goal drive, which they do. Yeah, I think that's kind of reflecting what Sean talked about, this development in the fourth quarter where I think both offences were adjusting and making the right adjustments and they were getting production, but that also reflected the fact that I think that both defences, because they were getting more tired, you could just, like, obviously, if you compare how booked up the, 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 the San Francisco 49ers were at the beginning of this game on the first drive when they got that stop they're like pounding the ground and they're going like yeah let's fuck yeah but now they've lost some guys um, they obviously lost Greenlaw a couple of DBs go out in the last final drive I believe as well um, you know and it's just long it's a long ass game and it's not gone the way you've gone and it's now gotten very tense and the pressure of the game is on you and that also felt like the defensive coordinators were similar like they were desperate for a big play and that'll be especially so we'll talk about that in overtime but even at this point you could tell that like yes they were still getting some flash plays and there was uh, again more turning points that could have happened i think mahomes had a fumble that he recovered himself and stuff like that but it did feel like the offenses were getting more production but we're also getting into these more high-risk scenarios, like where the defenses were more willing to take chances. And obviously, I, I feel like the uh, the Chiefs are much more comfortable with you know disguise blitzes, with you know doing the risky thing and relying on McDuffie and uh, Sneed to kind of just like leave them one on one and let them do their job. That was true, like for most of that. But especially as you got into this thing, as, as I said, the pressure has just been dialed up. But you know, you see that the Francisco get their touchdown drive, and you see, as, as Sean said, the adjustment was that yeah, if they're going to cover Ayuk and Debo, that means that Juwan Jennings must be out there one on one and he obviously you see a lot more Jennings in the back end of this game than you did in the first half as you know that adjustment was happening as they were there and even that but I made a, a contribution as well but yet the pat miss ended up being huge because that's such a huge butterfly moment right because that completely changes how the Chiefs presumably would have done uh, you know in a San Francisco at the three yard line did they go for a field goal if they were down by four in that situation, I don't think so. I think they would have went for the touchdown. And then you've got a completely different game going on, right? And, uh, you know, that's a completely different universe we could live in. But, you know, that missed PAT just meant that both teams suddenly, you know, tighten up, just take what you're given and, like, uh, you know, rely on your defense to make the one a big play because this was a game where you did not want to fall behind schedule like you wanted to desperately stay you know in like you know uh, third and fifths or stuff like that it didn't always happen and there was a couple of successful cases where that didn't happen but you wanted to uh, more often than not if you went off schedule you're probably going to have a punt in this game um because both these defenses were playing at a high level um and it just felt like a game where yeah that pressure was coming on and Kansas City you know they, they, they take the field goal because it's the right thing to do probably maybe analytics maybe slightly disagrees but it was certainly not the wrong thing to do um and then you could see on their drive Kelsey making plays over the middle uh, Justin Watson making plays um, you know you're seeing the middle of the field become a weakness for the San Francisco 49ers which you're not used to seeing uh, for this team and then yeah you see uh, San Francisco it looked for a moment early on in their last drive uh, last regular uh, drive that they had a quick start they had a couple of big plays and then once they got into the tight middle of the field it kind of felt like they kind of oh man if we fuck up now the game is over basically like or like it's most likely over and we're fucked basically so you did feel like they kind of like got into their shell a little bit and that gave the yeah, as you said you know a couple of big plays didn't work out and the big plays just didn't work out for the 49s all game you know game of inches and all that and yeah obviously as you said because 
Spags was getting his guys involved. It, it seemed the, the further game got in, the more Chris Jones was showing up. He was doing things in the first half, but as the game went on, more and more Chris Jones, Chris Jones, Chris Jones. Didn't get any sacks, I believe, but he got a bunch of pressures and mm-hmm. he had an impact in the run game as well. It just felt like, yeah, it, did, it didn't, you know, I don't know. It just, yeah, it didn't quite feel like either team was willing to kind of go all out to try and win an offense and both defenses felt a little bit more aggressive. Um, yeah, there, there's there's a narrative way of looking at this game, I think, which is to focus on how San Francisco came up short just like inches short you talk about this being a game inches how they came up short and tiny mistakes in in tiny scenarios changed the entire thing an awful lot like one thing we didn't talk about for example is at the end of the first quarter end of the first half sorry there was 20 seconds left on the board that san francisco decided to kneel down for there was i saw some talk online that if they'd used their timeouts more cleverly in the second quarter they could have given themselves a lot more time and had another maybe added some points on there you talk about the the miss pat which is as ronan says completely changed the dynamic of the game or that the the drive where they end up kicking the field goal for for 19-16 they they could have as you say they hit they converted one third down in a different scenario they could have taken a lot more time off the off the clock and done kind of what the chiefs did against the eagles last year which was to set up the the kind of the winning the winning kick uh kind of being in complete control of the clock for those last two minutes and set up the kick when you want to um and you see it again and we'll talk about this in, in overtime where the you know a decision may be made in a in fourth and four kind of changes uh, the dynamic of the game and, and takes it away from him. And that's the thing about this 49ers team or the way we maybe think about championship mentality or, or greatness, et cetera, et cetera. San Francisco were a very, very good team and they showed in this game that they were a, they were an elite team. They, they, were, they were really, really good. That sometimes is not enough because you have to not make the small mistakes or you have to find a way to overcome the small mistakes or you have to, as as Ronan said, not get caught up in the moment when you're, you know, four minutes left in the fourth quarter and you, you really should be pushing on and you play, play a tiny bit too conservatively and that ends up being costly. And maybe the thing that really defines the greats like like Pat Mahomes or, or Tom Brady, whatever, is or, or even the great coaches in those kind of scenarios is they don't clamp up. They don't change what they're doing. They, they maintain their identity. They find a way to to be superhuman i guess you want to say and be able to rise above the pressure and the nerves and just continue to make good decisions and i feel that san francisco are a really good team and maybe we can talk a little bit later about kyle shanahan and the decisions that he made and how that is growing into a narrative of him falling just short but maybe there's that that, that tiny mentality thing of not being able to make 100 percent perfect decisions in pressure scenarios the greats can do that, and maybe the not so greats. It doesn't matter how talented you are if you can't be that. If you can't make those kind of decisions in those moments, uh, you don't. Um, so you end up in these scenarios where, if you, for example, you end up kicking a field goal when when you shouldn't uh, have done so, uh, or you know you miss a PAT when maybe you should have focused more on trying to kick it or whatever. So it's 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 one of these games. It's really this game is a really interesting example of the difference, the the, the kind of the razor thin difference between being an excellent football team and being a great, being a championship team. That, I, that's what I think yeah. is my big takeaway from this game. And it's also interesting, right, because you talked about, like, Shanahan did a really good job of adjusting on a schematic level, and that's why you see Juwan Jennings making big plays, and he was key to that touchdown drive, uh, both in terms of a big play and also the touchdown itself, which, impressively, he kind of rumbled his way through a few defenders to get there. Uh, but, you know, if you contrast the, 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 the them, like, you know, when they had their key moments... Like they weren't, they weren't going as much as CMC. CMC was kind of, I wouldn't say he went away, but he wasn't, you know, the CMC we thought we were going to get in the first quarter. You know, Debo, you know, didn't have much of an impact in this game. Ayuk had like a handful of big plays, but otherwise was pretty quiet. So that I think it's more Ayuk's game. George mm-hmm. Kittle basically did nothing in this game. And then you go over to the other side, 
Who dominated at the crunch moments of this game? Travis Kelsey. Who dominated on the defense at the crunch moments in this game? Chris Jones. So the big guys for the Chiefs, and obviously who, who dominated the quarterback, even Holmes, of course. Uh, but like, you know, the big guys, the big dogs on the Chiefs side, they know what they're doing. Like they've been here, they've done that, and they lead on the field. And whereas I think, you know, as, as an offensive coach, as an offensive genius, I do think, you know, Shanahan perhaps at this point has surpassed Andy Reid, but he's having to, to, to hold the team as well on his shoulders. Like Brock Purdy is, a, I think, he, you know, he's a good quarterback, potentially a great quarterback going forward, but he's not Patrick Mahomes, right? In both in terms of physical profile and also just in terms of experience and, and you know, obviously experience at this level. And then you kind of go, well, these guys, you know, Kyle Shanahan makes things so easy all the time. Um, or so often that, you know, it, the team looks better all, most of the time. But the Chiefs feel like a team that like they can win from anywhere and they never believe that they're not going to win. And, like, when they do lose, like, you know, Patrick Holmes goes apeshit because they gave a wrong flag or whatever. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's that difference in mentality. Like, and, and when the margins are this tight, like, this small, that makes a difference. And even, you know, as you say, not making mistakes because as we enter, oh, well, I assume we're mostly finished with the game now. Obviously, yeah. we've got three field goals being exchanged and we're now 1919. Yeah, and, exactly. Like, it's, the thing, it's the overtime thing, not knowing what the rules in playoff exactly. overtime is. So yeah. he's he, he's come out and claimed that he did, and this was intentional. He wanted the third possession. Uh, I just but the it doesn't make the any Chiefs, sense. Yeah, like the, like basically. So just to be clear, the new overtime rules are such that um, each team is guaranteed at least one drive. So if the if the first team scores a touchdown, the other team will have a re- chance to respond with a touchdown. The Chiefs were well aware of this. They talked about it afterwards that they if they had won the toss, they would have. Deferred, uh, they and they would have gone deferred. for two if they needed to. Yeah. yeah, and they would be it would have been no third drive, right? They would they were prepared. They knew exactly what they were doing. The 49ers basically went. They didn't know what the rules were until they came out in the jumbotron. And even the thing, like even even the thing about like if the end of the quarter had happened, it was going to continue on to another quarter. I don't think the 49ers were confused about that, but I do think there were some people in commentary in certain places were confused that they thought it would just end a, a tie yeah. or the San Francisco would win by default. But no, like it was like it, it didn't make any difference. Um, basically, you know, it would just be the next half, basically. Um, or next quarter, whatever. Um, uh, but yeah, like, and we know, and like, it's not like this is a new scenario. Like this is very similar. Uh, it's not the same, but it's quite similar to the college overtime rules, where effectively you basically that's a full on back and forth. Like basically, you, you have to match. The first team does a thing; the other team has to match it to go to the next round of overtime or beat it to, to win the game. Obviously, which gives a major strategic advantage to the second mover because they know exactly what they need to do. So in this game, you know, obviously, you know, going into actual overtime itself, San Francisco get the ball. Um, it doesn't start great. Uh, they get bailed out by McDuffie holding call, but then they settle the ship. Uh, CMC and Judge Jack make some nice plays. Uh, you know, maybe uh, some people would argue like Des Bryant would love the catch rules were like what Judge Huszczyk had at the end of this game uh, for his conversion on, on third down. Um, but they get in the red zone and they stall out, um, which isn't, isn't surprising. This is another case where Chris Jones comes in on major pressure on Purdy. Not really much he could do in that third down conversion after a couple of CMC runs. So now they settle for the field goal. But now the big thing is that the, the Chiefs know exactly what they need to do. They need to score a touchdown, basically. And that means that they know they got to go for a fourth down each time. And as you said, even if the 49ers had scored a touchdown, they were going to go for two. And this, you know, the whole third yeah. down thing, Shanahan must believe the other team is as dumb as he is. That's actually a legitimate <laughs> argument. Uh, because, you know, like yeah. that final, like, you know, we will talk about the actual drive in a second there, but obviously we know the Chiefs, Work their day down the field. Mahomes is clutch again. He does does the business. What he expects is Patrick Mahomes, and the game is over. And uh, you know, some nar- like the Chiefs' narrative as a dynasty is re- you know strengthened, and the 49ers' reputation as chokers on the biggest stage is uh, also strengthened. 
Yeah, so we'll go, we'll go through this drive then. So we kind of had, uh, you kind of talked through the, the San Francisco one. Like we said, it wasn't going great for them. They got bailed out a bit with a penalty on Trent McDuffie because uh, they were at third and 13 at that point and uh, it had been an incomplete pass, but uh, there was holding, so it's a fresh set of downs. They work their way down. They overcome one little bit of... Uh, problems they they, they they do get a, a penalty on themselves for offensive holding which brings them back to a second and 12 at the kansas city 28 but they're able to uh get it sorted that uh, pass to use check who got 13 yards on it but then they stalled out mccaffrey got six yards no gain and then an incomplete pass so they settled for the field goal and the chiefs take over knowing what they need to do they try to run the same kind of style as they were beforehand. So, you know, they run Pacheco up the middle. They go on a short pass to Rice out the side. And then they go for Pacheco up the middle again. He gets stuffed. It's fourth and one. They take their first time out and they decide to run a naked Pat Mahomes run play, uh, which is basically that he doesn't have additional uh, options to choose. It's not a it's not a pistol. It's not a, an RPO. It's just a straight up. He was going to run from the get-go on it. He gets eight yards, gets the fresh set of downs. And then again, they start to have a bit of problems MVS for negative yardage but then they go straight back to him for seven they get to Rice for 13 they go to Pacheco for four and then San Francisco take their first time out there uh, at the second and six on the San Francisco 37 yard line Uh, Pacheco picks up five yards on a pass and it's third and one and Mahomes decides he's going to put the game in his back goes off for a little totter as we said uh when he runs he kind of looks like a toddler who's picking up speed ah, this was the one this was the one rush he looked like he was genuinely like i'm gonna get every fucking yard i can like yeah well, I was about to say, like we're used to seeing the toddler he looked a little bit better on this one but uh <laughs> yeah so he scrambles picks up 19 yards brings up first and 10 on the san francisco 13 yard line pacheco goes up the middle for three yards they have a short pass over the middle for kelsey which gets seven yards sets him up on first and goal on the San Francisco three with three seconds left in overtime as we said it would have continued on anyway and uh, in kind of a reverse of the Seahawks Patriots game they decide to pass here because they want to pass here and uh, yeah they basically as I said at the top they basically ran the same play or very close to the same play as they scored the two touchdowns against the Eagles with last year of a fake sweep motion inside the guy breaks out underneath because he expects the linebacker to be traveling there's a lovely little shot uh, if you look at the replay of this of um, as soon as Traverius Ward comes with Kelsey he knows that the guy is free underneath and he just stops playing and stares at the jumbotron to watch the touchdown happen um and it, it well, does feel the, the alternative that. theory is that he was like watching closely in case it was dropped again <laughs> <laughs> True. um and, and i think i think on that play design as well which is a little bit different from how it was beforehand yeah. that you see mahomes is coming out on kind of a boot to the right a little bit and i think if the if the linebacker and lineman coverage shade over to the right mahomes is just going to run that in i think that's what his idea is and i do wonder if there were players on the san francisco side that uh that were unaware of there being just a guaranteed second quarter of overtime if the if they haven't finished their drive. Um, I'm wondering about it, you know, kind of if they can get him tackled down, could the clock become an element here? But yeah, I think just perfect play call. Miko Hardman gets the touchdown. I don't think Miko fully realized that that was the winning touchdown when he caught it either. Uh, it took <laughs> he, him, said he, but... he said he blacked out. He said he doesn't remember <laughs> the immediate moment. I caught the ball. <laughs> yeah. It's a blackout uh, more often. I'm just happy because I said, I said to you guys at the bar, I said, 
Andy Reid loves an old redemption arc uh, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just so happy to decide... Not enough to, not enough to have Kadarius Tony playing in this game. Yeah, but, 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 but bear in mind that it was uh, that it was Mikael Hardman who fumbled more recently for us. He fumbled okay, okay. On, the, on, the, on the goal line when we were playing two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Um, but yeah, so I was just I'm very happy that it was him and not Tony in this situation. Uh, Tony logged no receptions. I don't know if he played a snap in this game, actually. Did he? No, he was he was not active. Health, healthy scratch. Yeah, um, yeah. Thank God for that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so Chiefs win it all. Like we said, it was uh, some some interesting question marks there. I, I I think we're kind of universally in agreement that the decision to take the ball first was a massive mistake. Yeah, I I, I will say I think the analytics say it's fifty fifty. Uh, I know psychologically it certainly feels like. Given the rules, a team that goes second has an advantage, and there hasn't obviously hasn't been an awful lot of in actual game data. That's what I was gonna say. Like, isn't this like only happened. the second time this is happened? But I, I think if people have worked out rules. using various various analytical tools of, of play decisions, etc., mm. and likelihoods of X Y Z happening, that it's about fifty fifty. Mm. Um, but uh, and obviously they do it in college, so you, there is a little bit of data in terms yeah, of yeah. that. Definitely in terms of you want to talk about the, the get away from the stats and talk about the eyeball test. It just feels like you should go second. Um, yeah. And or certainly, the, and I, and at I the will, very least, you should know what the rules are. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. Optimally, yeah. Again, it comes down to a, a, the championship thing. A, a championship team knows what the fucking rules of the game are. Uh, but I do think the alternative is, is that you shouldn't be settling for a field goal. Like one of the big problems I had in this situation was the when they were in fourth and four, and they're at like I think like the nine yard line or something, and they kicked the field goal. I honestly think you should you should go for it. Like fourth I don't fourth think, the Kansas City nine, yeah, yeah. It's like you go for it, and if you miss, you know, make the them drive the are, full are, pitch. Yeah. Are st- are stuck pretty deep, um, and I think you have probably. Okay, it's it's Mahomes. He's probably going to do whatever, but at least they're a little bit further away from from their goal than if you kick the field goal and they get to start to twenty five and he gets to Mahomes gets to just you know play the the the, the game the way he wants to. I think mm-hmm. you have to score a, f- a touchdown, and I think a field goal is fairly useless um, to you in the, in a scenario where you're facing across from a team that. You just, you just know they're going to get it done. So I, I have a little bit of an issue with kicking a field goal in that spot um, when I think that there is there yeah. is a reason, especially given I mean, your offense is actually firing. Like One of the big yeah. things about the end of this game is that the 49ers, obviously they had their third quarter bad patch, but then they, the offense starts playing really well. Like Purdy is like 9 of 13, I think, in fourth quarter and overtime. They've been marching down the field an awful lot. They've been getting success on every drive. Admittedly, not touchdowns, but but field goals here and there. I think the offense is in a good place. and you It's it's this thing I talked about a few weeks ago about how Dan Campbell of the, of the Lions, he trusts his player and, this, and then he gets results. I, I maybe sometimes I maybe sometimes feel, especially in that overtime thing, did Kyle Shanahan stop trusting his players? Did he not believe that his players could execute uh, well, what, what was required of them and therefore he played more conservatively than they should have? Because it certainly felt as if other coaches would have gone for it in that, in that spot, gone for the touchdown. And maybe even feels like Andy Reid, had the Chiefs been fourth and four from the nine-yard line, that, that Andy Reid would have given the ball to Mahomes and said, get it done. You know, we can't yeah. get out of here. Can't walk out of here with a field goal. We have to score a touchdown. I think he would have, what, yeah. 
Well, I don't think I don't. The problem is, I felt like the 49ers didn't feel comfortable being that aggressive, even though it worked in the fourth quarter. They got that touchdown, but obviously, kind of seized back control of this game when it felt like the Chiefs were about to kind of, you know, take it back. You know, basically to, to seize control uh, at the end of the game. So they got that touchdown. They reestablished the control, and obviously, you know, they didn't quite turn that into the touchdown needed in the final drive to win the game. But you know, off uh, the regular time, but it was fine. But then, yeah, as you say, when you're down at the, the the Chiefs red like within the ten yard line you have an opportunity to either get a first down or a touchdown with a successful play. It makes sense. But I do also think like he was probably a little bit spooked by what happened on the, that final drive and where Chris Jones is suddenly making seems to be getting more there. And it just felt like all throughout, at least from a schematic point of view, like both Andy Reid and I think especially Spags are much more comfortable playing on the edge. They're much more comfortable taking the you know the old Arians no risk it, no biscuit approach to playing NFL football, um, because I suppose they're not used to just winning, like just winning off the snap, basically winning schematically, winning with their brain, which which Fortnite have become so good with, um, by Shanahan, and you know it definitely felt like that. Not just in the first drive on the offense, where obviously they made that. You know, I don't think it's the wrong decision, but I do I do think it. You know, you could definitely argue like in a game which was all it felt all about you know seizing control that to take that field goal maybe it's the analytics say it's correct, but it also feels like you know now the game is in Mahomes' hands and there's enough quarterbacks and other people out there who've put it in Mahomes' hands that, that they probably don't want to do that and just a shout out to the Bills by the way who, who you know was there complaining that got this to happen so Connor you can send a, a thank you to the Bills uh, for why we have these new overtime rules oh yeah well but, did, you, did I, you see Patrick Mahomes' quote about it um, yeah I think he said something to yeah so he said he, he said um, of course we know the rules they changed the rules because of us I'm just I'm just interested <laughs> to see what, what the next rule change is going to be to try and stop us yeah but um <laughs> But I think that even comes up more on the Chiefs' uh, drive, um, which I think obviously all the all the credit goes to Mahomes. You know, when the clutch, you know, when the clutch moments are required, he showed up. Uh, but I think what you saw was that the 49ers' defense and, and Steve Wilkes, like they, you could sense the want off them, the desperation off them. Like they mm. were desperate to get that big play on the fourth and one conversion. Like Nick Bosa, like ah, I've got to get the running back. I'm going to stop the fourth and one conversion. But like Mahomes, like all right, I'll just take the ball and do the, the read option basically and go for like you know a bunch of yards basically. And uh, you know Mahomes obviously on the final drive, there's no worries about injuries or the next season or whatever like that. It's all about you know what will win the game for me now and takes those two uh, important vital scrambles in this game. But you also saw that on key downs, Steve Wilkes. And the sort of 49ers defense, which is mostly uh, not that aggressive a defense, I would say, in terms of, you know, putting extra men into the, the pressure. Like, I think they're doing a bit more this year because everyone's doing that in the NFL, but they're not one of those teams like the, the Ravens or the Chiefs or the Patriots who have gone full all in on disguise blitzes and stuff like that. They still prefer to win schematically more than anything else. They, they usually, like, look like they're going to blitz and then kind of move. But they went aggressive on the blitzes and Mahomes, like, he's done all his career, just edit for breakfast. Like, there was that conversion to Rice, for example. Yeah. Um, and... You know, it felt like the 49ers on defense with Steve Wilkes were like, please work, please get a sack, please make the big play. And Mahomes like, I eat, I, 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 I eat, I drink your salty tears of desperation <laughs> and I take them to the bank. And yeah, and then yeah, to cu- cut it off with the play that basically defeated the, 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 the Eagles twice, obviously two key touchdowns for the against the Eagles last year just felt like, yeah, pretty much appropriate. But yeah, for the 49ers to kind of, I think the 49ers just weren't comfortable being in this space. They weren't ready for this space as much. I think they're an incredibly good team. I think they show that they deserve to be in this space, but the problem is you're playing, you know, the new dynasty. And, you know, dynasties exist for a reason. It's because they know how to keep the competition down. 
Yeah. But uh, if we're talking about Shanahan as, you know, obviously now this narrative is starting to, to build up on him. Like he's got, he was the guy, he was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons with a 28-3. You know, they've now lost two Super Bowls where they were at least 10 points ahead. Um, he's, you know, this is a team that notoriously was very bad at comebacks up until quite recently. And maybe it is just the fact that he doesn't, when the chips are down, he doesn't always. He doesn't hundred percent trust all of his players on the field to to execute, yeah. in the way that other coaches. Or he doesn't want to play. He wants to. He wants to play with percentages rather than play on the edge. And the problem is, you're never going to win a championship. Like the thing is, well, the Niners would have to be if they were this much better than the Chiefs. Like they were, like objectively the better team in, in terms of the personnel and the talent and what they were doing. And they were this much better than the Chiefs, and they couldn't. Like you would have to be so much better than the other team you were playing in a Super Bowl in order to win it the way Shanahan plays. Uh, and and you know, yeah, because like, like, like there's you, two you're, things. You're looking at all pro running back. You've got an all pro wide receiver. You've got two other good receivers you've got an all pro uh tight end or a pro bowl tight end like you've got and you've, you've got a superstar left tackle like you've got everything you've got everything yeah. you could want there and you've got a superstar linebacker core great corners maybe you need another pass rusher but like top to bottom it's hard to look at this roster and say well it's because they don't have the personnel yeah but i i think two things just to be fair to sean i think has got better at doing that, at being more aggressive, at looking for the key swings and not just playing the percentages of like realizing there's a psychology to this game. Um, but you know, he's not good enough for it. Yeah? Like he's not play, you know, you're playing the best, you need to bring your the best right with you. Um and I think on the other hand, like yeah, obviously they have all that talent, but the reason they have all that talent is because they have effectively like a you know an inexperienced like rookie who doesn't have superstar yeah, freebie, talent yeah, right yeah. so it's, it's a little bit you know that that's why they have all that talent around him but it also means that like you know i think brock purdy right now is trending at his upper end to becoming like a drew Brees type player maybe even tom brady um drew Brees or, is what think, the uh, what a lump of the kansas city yeah, defensive staff were especially saying. early so on that's, like, that's what it was like that's why they had to swap out his own like exactly and i think um you know, like that's 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 what he could become. Um, I think probably personally, I think he's probably like a, a plus. Kirk Cousins probably is where I would like my average estimation would be where he end up. I think he's better than Kirk Cousins, or he has enough to be better than Kirk Cousins sort of mobility. Um, but I think the big thing is that like you know the difference between when Pat, Tom Brady dominated the NFL and he you know to be fair he dominated Mahomes' early career and that obviously always helped his goat our conversation over the, the very tedious goat conversations between Brady and Mahomes for the next ten years we've looked forward to. Uh, but. Um, the difference is that like now we have players like Patrick Mahomes come in who combine being Tom Brady, as I said last week, with being Patrick Mahomes, who can beat you not just by being super efficient, take exactly what's given to defense, but if they need to, can scramble for 19 yards or can throw a deep ball or could do whatever they need to do. And obviously we'll only get better with all of this experience he's accumulated and who is basically holding back the the you know the legacy of Joe Burrow and, and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson basically single-handedly. Um, <laughs> like, you know, that's tough. When you're like the obviously we know quarterback is the most important position in in sports probably um for a team sport certainly and you know Purdy is really good but now that the you know the the fucking barriers like up here like um but yeah I think I think I think Shanahan has learned he has got much better in this but they still don't look comfortable doing it necessarily to the same way the Chiefs just look like whatever fine like the Chiefs over this especially in such a grinding year and I think this Super Bowl was very effective at representing what 2023, the 2020 season was. It was an appropriate capstone where defense mattered more, taking what was given was more, using your opportunities mattered more, defense, you know, uh, special teams mattered more than like all the explosives and, and magic that we saw for a few years there uh, when Mahomes entered, basically when Mahomes went mainstream. Um, 
And that was what this game came down to. And, you know, even though it wasn't the Chiefs' best season, they obviously still accumulated more than enough wins in those tight games uh, to get here, despite not playing well all season. And, you know, they played, they, they were the better team here. But yeah, at the end, their defense is happy. You know, Spags has lived his life on the edge in terms of being aggressive, going for the big plays. And Mahomes has done the same. And just those really tiny margins made a small difference. And I think there is a universe, many universes where the San Francisco 49ers win this game or perhaps even dominate this game. But, you know, as the pressure heated up, I've said that many, several times, you know, I don't know if you watch the tape whether Shanahan was literally sweating, but he did seem internally to be sweating at the very least because this, this, you know, there's so much on his back right now. Given his Yeah, legacy. I was getting, I don't know if you guys have watched Succession, I was getting real Kendall Roy energy off Shanahan <laughs> by the end, to be honest. And like, look, the closest comparator to, to where he is right now like the, is the, pre... The, the empire is crumbling around him and he doesn't know how to <laughs> no. stop it. But like the close comparator to where he is right now is probably like someone like pre Chiefs Andy Reid. Yeah, it's so. Philly Andy Reid. Philly Andy Reid had three three NFC Championships games and a Super Bowl that he lost in a four year period, and Shanahan has two NFC Championship games and two Super Bowls that he lost in a four year yeah. period. And uh, and the same issues like plagued Reid, like offensive genius, but you know um, his like clock management and his use of timeouts had always been questionable stuff like that. Can he do it in tight moments? And, yeah, like, you know, as as the greatest coaches of all time, active, uh, well, active, currently technically active, Bill Belichick and, and Andy Reid can attest to the winning, creating a dynasty is a lot easier when you got the guy. The quarterback, basically. yeah. And I think Purdy is close enough. Yeah, I think yeah. there's enough of Purdy that he could end up being the guy, but it's a lot to ask for someone yeah. who's so young in their career. It is, and like, look, the, the this is the thing. Don't, like, they don't, yeah. 49ers guys don't need to get too stressed over this. Like, Birdie, that's his second year as a starter. He was in here. He played a good game. Yeah, there's one or two bits he could bring back. Like, you know, his, his some yeah. of his deep shots weren't perfect and stuff like that. But, like, realistically, look, like, 23 out of 38, 255 yards, he gets a touchdown. Like, I think maybe the problem was the game script ended up being flipped that they had intended to use a lot more running and that, like they didn't step away from the run McCaffrey had 22 carries in this game but they weren't getting the production out of the run game so it put a little bit more on Purdy's plate and for two out of the four quarters he was really eating that up he was doing really well with it so like there's only there's only up from here for him and I, I do think that he's probably going to be kind of a, a solid starter for that franchise for quite a number of years and this is I suppose the limitation that they identified when they went out and picked up Lance and paid a King's Ransom for him they were looking for that piece they seem to know that that's the bit that they're missing from the thing and I, I think Purdy could definitely be the guy who gets there I don't think he's quite yeah. there yet but like I think it was damn close they're, they're, after the la the loss like a few years ago with Jimmy G, it felt like Jimmy G was a problem, especially with that deep volley miss. Like it felt like you, you know, it's so much work to get Jimmy G to a Super Bowl, and I feel like there's still some work involved in getting Brock Purdy to a Super Bowl. But I see enough in him that he's not the problem. I think he's like not a problem and not a solution at quite at the moment. But I think you know he's so young. There's so much room to develop that yeah. he could become the solution and with experience and just you know. But I, the problem is like when you're Brock Purdy, you got to be. Well, not basically perfect, like to a, to a large extent. You don't have you know the, the wiggle room of being Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes. You gotta you gotta work like ten percent harder every day to beat those guys. Yeah, and it's a bit unfair, but it's also life. But really, like, it also it, it also surprises me that like they've got him for next year for a million dollars. Oh like, yeah, you know, like, it's, it's, like there's plenty of space for them here. You know, yeah, like like they're like you know Chiefs will have some tough decisions to make for the 49ers I think it's like they can make the money if they need to and it won't be too much of an issue like yeah. they yeah as long as Purdy's on his rookie contract which is, yeah they have another two years of and because they drafted him in the final round actually means they get an extra year 
um, where they have exclusive control. Uh, he'll be a restricted free agent, I believe, otherwise uh, this uh, after this season. Um, yeah, they're in they're in a really good place. They've already spent a big mud bucks on people like Javon Hargrave. I don't think they'll be that explosive in terms of free agency this year, mm-hmm. but they certainly shouldn't lose anyone they don't want to lose uh, this offseason. Like they might lose Juwan Jennings to the to the Panthers who are desperate to get a right receiver and they'll go oh John Jennings he, he made some plays in the, in the Super Bowl uh, but yeah anyone they want to keep they'll be able to keep yeah so how do we rack up then versus our, our, our pre-season prediction our mid-season predictions I suppose uh so I had I I had the Chiefs winning it. I said I said at the midpoint, Kansas City will figure it out, get the job done. Bengals a close second uh, <laughs> because if you remember at that point the Bengals were kind of ascending and Joe Burrow wasn't injured yet and they were doing really well and they still kept doing pretty good, uh, but were obviously capped with the quarterback situation because um, like you guys yeah. both had Cincinnati in there. Uh, Sean got the NFC side right. I had Detroit. So I was close. Uh, no, he had wrong. San Francisco and you had Philly. Philly. <laughs> Although the thing I had is, Philly <clears> winning the <throat> Super Bowl. Like, like, yeah. I, I, it was a pretty bad, like the second half of the season pretty much was as bad as the second half of the season can go. Like since he and Philly it, it, were your picks and they both had pretty bad second half of the seasons, at least one of them had a good excuse. It's difficult to see at the time <laughs> though, is the main thing with Philly, yeah. 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 Um, but no, that was, that was that was overall pretty good. Uh, so any, any last takeaways from the from the court, from the the Super Bowl? You gotta stop the Chiefs, man. Have the only the person ghost. who's done it is You have like, to have the ghost. Like the only team that has taken them down is basically when Joe Burrow's healthy for the Bengals so some other team in the AFC and I suppose to a lesser extent the NFC because only one gets a chance more or less a year um, they got to show that they can do it and obviously some really interesting matchups available for week one where the Chiefs will be uh, defending obviously uh, yeah. Thursday Night Football uh, I am putting my pitch in for the CJ Stride one, but they could put it against the Ravens. I'm thinking the Ravens. The Bengals, any of those. Yeah. Any of those would be good. But I, I, I like the Stroud Mahomes matchup. Let's see if the new kid can. I think that that would map well onto what we saw last this year with the, the Detroit one, like a yeah. fun team. No, I think I see I what think they so got. Well. Take on the champ for game one, young team. See what you can do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, our off-season schedule, you wanted to briefly discuss Yeah, that, I'll just or? let people know. So basically, we obviously take a little bit of break now to kind of, you know, recharge our batteries, get ourselves ready. We'll have, we'll be back kind of early March with a free agent preview pod to kind of talk through everything. So the tag deadline is the 5th of March. So kind of free agency is officially open on March 13th. So we'll we'll have one in around then to let you know what to look at in the free agency stuff. Then end of March, start of April, we'll come back and we'll do a review of all the moves that have happened and kind of basically where everyone has landed or if there's still anyone up in the air about that, uh, then that leads into the draft. So we'll have our draft prospects pod where we kind of talk through the top uh, prospects at all the different positions, kind of walk you through that. And it'll be probably middle of April and then tail end of April. We will have our world famous mock draft special. Uh, come mm. to us if you want to know who's definitely going to the places that we mock them to. Uh, or the are, opposite of that. We are we are very good <laughs> at that. I swear. Um, so the draft is April twenty fifth. We'll be in before that, and then kind of into June, July, we'll be doing our divisional previews, and uh, then obviously kicking off with season ten. Jesus, we've been at this for a while. In September for the uh, camp review and the week one preview. So we'll be kind of radio silence for about five weeks six weeks and then we'll be kind of intermittently in your ears for march and april and then kind of another little break until the summer when we'll start talking about our previews um but yeah that was great uh how are we feeling guys we we, we ready for the off season are the bones yeah. oh. tired by the way there was like we have lots of those preseason predictions very few objectives so i don't know if they're correct or not but uh you guys were correct to pick juan taylor as the most penalized uh, player of yes. 2023 excellent excellent uh, 120 20 for 140 that's that's impressive yeah it is pretty good it's pretty good 
that's uh that's good going um but yeah no i suppose that'll wrap us up for now so uh until our free agency pod preview in march it's uh bye from myself bye from ronan bye bye from sean bye it's been all four quarters thanks for listening we'll chat to you in march